Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to Bible study time here with Rick Bonfim Ministries. It's good to be here with you today in the time of spring. And I'm looking out my window, I see purple iris blooming. They're such a beautiful flower that comes around here in this time of year. I'm glad to be with you today to study God's Word. But when we begin now, let me invoke a prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we invoke your presence with us today. Ask you to be with us as we think about you and your promises to us. Minister to us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking today and again at Hebrews, of course, the wonderful work of Hebrews. And I have uh, the responsibility of working with you in the eighth chapter from the uh, sixth verse on through to the end of the chapter there, verse 13 or so. Let me begin reading to you this text. Then what I'm going to do is go back through it using the, some of the words we may be more familiar with, the King James Version, to look at what some of these words mean. And then finally, I'll wrap up, as I usually do, with some particular findings that I have about the text that I'd like to share with you for, for today. So that's, that's the process. We'll read the text, then we'll examine the text, and then we'll talk about some of the findings that we have there. So first, let me read the text in the Living Bible a translation a version of the, of the Bible. But Christ as a minister in heaven has rewarded with a far more important work than those who serve under the old laws because the new agreement which he passes on to us from God contains far more wonderful promises. So that is the eighth chapter. And the sixth verse. Now I'm going to read from the seventh verse. The old agreement didn't even work. If it had, there would have been no need for another to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one, for he said, The day will come and I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. This new agreement will not be like the old one I gave their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They did not keep their part of that that agreement. So I canceled it. I had to. But this is the new agreement I will make with the people of Israel, says the Lord. I will write my laws in their minds so that they will know what I want them to do without even telling them. And these laws will be in their hearts so that they will want to obey them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no one then will need to speak to his friend or neighbor or brother saying, you too should know the Lord because everyone, great and small, will know me already. And I have to be merciful. I will have to be merciful to them 
in their wrongdoings, and I will remember their sin no more. God speaks of these new promises of this new agreement as taking the place of the old one. For the old one is out of date now and has been put aside forever. And therein the reading for today is interesting conclusion to the eighth chapter. We find here, of course, a discussion of a concept called the covenant. The covenant. It's rather hard for us to think too much about it because we're on the far side of that mountain. We think about Jesus so much and Jesus' love and Jesus' goodness, things that Jesus did and accomplished and so forth that we forget about the fact of what a covenant is. Uh, we just don't have time to think about it, time to worry about it. Time. But this is not the case here in this early Christian community, these early Jewish Christians in this book that's written to these people called the Hebrews here. They were early Christians, see. Now this is this is the, the, the kicker to this text. They were early Christians and they were in a time of persecution. They were the Romans were hard on them. They were, they were, and the Jews were hard on them. They were persecuted for various reasons in awful, difficult ways. You know, James, the Lord's brother, tried to run that Christian community there in Jerusalem and he got beheaded for it. That's just umpteen examples of the crucifixion extended beyond Jesus to the general populace of anybody who was swearing themselves to this to this Christ Jesus. So now with that said, it was tempting to go back where you came from and forget about this Jesus. I mean, if you're going to get crucified for it, for heaven's sake, let's go back to what we were doing before. So this text is written to those kinds of folks who are in their mind thinking about, well, this is just too hard. What did we have before? Well, God made promises to us. And he was always good on his promise. He I don't know where to begin, but that's where you start out in this text. You get a, you, you can see that the writer is wanting to substitute Jesus for the law. Now you say, well, he does, don't he? Yeah, well, of course he does. To us here and now, we, we know that. We, we don't have any trouble. You don't have to convince me of that. I don't have to convince you. But what we have to consider is the strain the strain that these folks were under to turn back to the old covenant. What is a covenant anyway? If you if you think about it, a covenant is a, a legal kind of a contract that exists between two individuals. Uh, Jesus is the new covenant. The Old Covenant, there are all different kinds of covenants in the Old Testament. You don't even know them had one. 
Remember the covenant knowing, pleading, knowing God that the earth wasn't going to be destroyed no more by water? You remember that repentant God that was talking to Noah? Well, that was a, a, a covenant there. Was made. Abraham got into a covenant. He promised that his descendants would be like the stars in the heavens. And he only had to have one child. And he wasn't going to have that because he was all that old man stuff and all he was raving about. And the Lord brought him into that. And he had his son. Well, that contract goes on, on through the Old Testament between Abraham, David, had a covenant with God. And then, of course, Moses, the great contract of the law given to Moses. I give you the law. You give me your faithfulness and obedience to the law, and I will take you to a promised land you will not believe. See that promise in there? Remember how poor Moses couldn't get into the what kind of land? It wasn't Disneyland. It was the promised land. Moses wanted to get there, but he couldn't get there because he couldn't be obedient to the law because of somebody he murdered and he just couldn't get in. But he saw it. He saw it from a mountaintop. Oh, see, contract law, the, 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 the deal that the Jews were under was, you keep my law and I'll give you a promised land. And that didn't just disappear. That was still there. That law they love the law. The psalmist has psalms in their way. It talks about how I take delight in the law. And if you know anything about a Hebrew rabbi, they take delight in the laws of God. They love it, man. The more they know it, the more they study it, and the more they do it. They put it on the doorpost of the house. They put it between their eyes on the strap around the head. They want you to know that I know and I love the law. Because it is God's promise, God's contract. Well, that's a little hard for us to dig. I mean, we know Jesus. And Jesus has a new contract with us. New kind of law. Not entirely. The difference between something and something old or something new uh, it varies. You know, I, I like old automobiles. I love to look at uh, old cars and antique cars. But... I don't want to go crazy about driving either one of them. If you are driven an old car, you find out pretty soon it doesn't, well, it don't drive so good. First of all, it's very weak. It runs slow. makes a lot of noise. If you want to stop it, you don't have any power. Brakes, you got to stand up on the brakes and toot the horn. Sounds like a goat throwing up. I mean, there's nothing about it pretty, an old car, except the nostalgia of the antiqueness of it. And it's got its own beauty, but it's been done away with now. New cars are not like that. They're air conditioned. They got powerful transmissions that are automatic. I declare. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. You ever said that before? Has always said that a bride needs those things on her. When she enters into marriage. Why? Because marriage is basically at the heart of it. A contract. A contract. In the early church. Marriage was a arranged thing. We want to forget that. We don't want, we don't want to associate ourselves with that. But the truth is. 
when people got married in the early Christian church, the church was involved in it. They, they knew who those people were and they wanted them to produce children so they would put them together. And, and, and the, the marriage contract is a covenant between two people and God. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Stanley Hauerwas, a professor down at Duke University for a number of years, has some wonderful lectures online, always controversial. He said marriage is not about love. Never was. It's about faithfulness. Whether or not we're faithful to one another. Not necessarily whether we are in love with one another. People in arranged marriages come together without being anywhere near what's called love by our definition. But at the same time, they understand faithfulness and know what they're entering into in terms of a contract. Well, there you have an overview of a covenant. But now take a community of people and base it on that. Base it on the fact that this is the covenant community of the Old Testament is going to be dependent upon the law. Now, this new one comes along here in Hebrews and says, we are a community too. But our community is based upon Jesus and his contract with us. And how do we see it in that community? Where is it expressed? It's in the Lord's Supper. If you look at your communion ritual, you will probably find it's in there somewhere. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, he said, a new covenant that you love one another. Matthew says, which is the great commandment in the law? The question was that, that you love one another as I've loved you. Oh my. But all through that New Testament strain, you hear the promises of Jesus. God speaking through Jesus makes these promises to us, you know. And our favorite text, which I, which I love, for God so loved the world in John's opening third chapter, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, stop right there and put quotations on it, and you have a covenant. See, think back through that uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, see, his only son. What's the condition? Whoever believeth in him, that's the condition. Shall have what? What do you get for it? Everlasting life. You won't perish, but have everlasting life. That's the covenant. That's a covenant. See, that's the shape of a covenant. We trust God to not go back on His word. Now the intercessor here. You need a high priest for that. But the Old Testament has its high priest. We have our high priest. His Jesus. Jesus is the high priest. Promise of the new versus the old covenant. The old covenant was imperfect. It couldn't be. It was picturesque, but it was, it was the old could only point to providing power for something. The old covenant was inward and looked at itself. 
it was a shell of a universality and just not just not what was needed. But now Jesus provides a internal new covenant as opposed to the external laws of stone. Oh my, it's 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 a new covenant thing. Well, if you look back at the actual text you know, this morning, the word covenant it goes like this. Diataki is the Greek word for it. Well, don't ask me to say it again, because boy, I tell you that took a lot of work. Diataki. Old versus the new covenant. How many of y'all got a will? Got a will? The will says last will and what? Testament. It's the last will and testament is a covenant. Uh, I, so-and-so, being of sound mind, don't, no, no, no. That's a covenant between you and the future that he didn't even hear yet. But if, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought out for a second. Now, that's the reason behind it that is given in this text. That uh, if the first one had been good enough, then the second one wouldn't be necessary. But if we're going to take that, if we live in this Hebrew community, and we're going to accept that second new covenant, oh man, hmm, it's a whole lot easier to go back to the other one than just go into this new thing and this new territory. I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, he says there in the ninth verse. But uh, because they continued not my covenant, I regard them not, saith the Lord. But then we get this quotation in the middle of this text from the wonderful Jeremiah talking to the, the we've been 31st chapter of Jeremiah, verse 31. It's repeated right in this, right in this text here for us in Hebrews. Just it's repeated. A new covenant he hath made first old now that which decays and waxed old is ready to vanish away. I will write a new covenant on their hearts and it will be on their minds. And I will be to them a God and they shall be my people. See that thing there that's internal. And then external in verse 11. Uh, Verse 11, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. Isn't that interesting? You know, that's the backbone of the Hebrew faith. You got to teach that, teach that, teach, teach, teach. Oh, oh that law. For, for this text says in verse 11, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. What is that? That's an example of Provenient grace. Provenient grace. You know, people say sometimes you have to accept Jesus as your Savior. No, you don't. No, it sounds awful, but no, you don't. What you have to do is stop resisting him because you know him already. I'll tell you. See, good. I know some good atheist people, and, and but they know the Lord already. Already know the Lord. <laughs> because what they do, they stiff neck resist. Just 
Just resist it. See, that's what you. That's what John Wesley said. We had to overcome. Overcome. This and, and this Old Testament, Old Covenant, is kind of like um, bad. Uh, the difference between bad milk in your refrigerator and good, clean, fresh milk. There's it, a big difference. One's old, one's new. That's but that's about it. That's about it. Used to be a, a creamery near a, a place where I served in church one time, and you'd walk in the door, and they were just devoted to showing you how dairy cattle used to be raised and farmed. They had old plows, they had old old harnesses, old milking machines, old things to show you about how old it was, but and how wonderful it is to be in the freshness of the fresh milk was 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 touted as a, as the product of ageless kind of thinking about it. Well then if you if you went on into the creamery and they let you into the back room and they opened the doors, what you saw was super cleanliness. You saw modern machinery. That milk was pasteurized in such a way as it was pure and clean and it, there's no ancient history there. You ever get a quart of milk in your refrigerator that's gone bad on you? Man, you got something on your hands. <laughs> you got to get rid of that because, but you don't give up drinking milk because of it. No, you get new fresh, fresh bottle of milk and put in there and go on with life. So this is what this teacher is trying to do in these verses. Fix it so that what they have is fresh and new, just like Jesus wanted it to be. He has it so that it's easy for them to keep what they're doing in a sense, but to continue something brand, brand spanking new. And that's that's just a wonderful heartbeat of the middle of Hebrews. Oh, my goodness. I hope you have learned a little bit about the covenant, the word covenant, and what it means to think about it. But I don't want you to get hung up on it. Because a lot of people do. Oh, some will maintain that this covenant is, is uh, temporary. Some think it's too loose. That uh, maybe we we need to be more obedient to the law rather than to the gospel. Even though we are taught, as as uh, John Wesley taught, you balance the two: law and gospel. Law and gospel. If you don't have any law and your gospel is way up here, what you've got is a dangerous situation of antinomianism. No law. No law to counterbalance that. So so you have to have the two. And this, this Hebrews encourages that. Encourages that. But it has a sense of urgency about it, which we don't have too much to do with that today. The urgency of it is not, not as strong now because we have a much deeper relationship with Jesus, perhaps, than was available at this point in time, or at least they were able to avail themselves of in a situation of stern persecution. I sometimes wonder what it would be like in our church today if instead of going to church and looking for potato salad, we went to church and found there, well, a police officer waiting for you. 
who said, are you going in here this morning? If you are, I'm going to put you in jail because we have new laws now about Christians meeting in public. Y'all have caused enough trouble. You just cause enough trouble. We're going to lock y'all up. So, but if you don't go in here, I'll let you go today. I'll let you go. You make up your mind. You're going in or out. Which way would you go? Would you go in? Would, would just going to jail be enough of a sacrifice for you? Or would you, you know, turn around and go back and get in that Cadillac and go on home? Forget about it. This, this Sunday anyway. That's the kind of tipping point that these good people were at. But they had an assurance of Jesus' love and power that came out in this. We got a hymn that I like about the promises of God. Oh, him standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, him. They used to sing that at revival meetings and so forth. Sitting down. It's tough. <laughs> the, the exhorter would, would not make them stand up. He'd let them sit as long as he would sit. But they would hear that thing and they'd get on their feet before long, boy. Standing, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God, Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. See, that, see the, the promise is the connector between God and the Christian. Not, not necessarily some experience, but just a the pure knowledge, crystal clear, that God has made you a promise and is going to keep it. Standing on the promises, I cannot fail. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call, I cannot fall. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Well, there you, there you have it. There you have it. I want to remind you before you go, some details uh, don't forget that the, a good study on Hebrews is Raymond Brown it's called The Message of Hebrews by InterVarsity Press English InterVarsity's English 1982 Ra Raymond Brown The Message of Hebrews great commentator on the work uh, yeah and of course the Family Bible Encyclopedia strange little thing from 1972, about 15 of them, 10 or 15 of them. You can find them uh, at different places, not too expensive, but they have wonderful scholarship in them. The word uh, covenant is carefully lifted up here for the three or four pages, so I recommend that. Family Bible Encyclopedia, the Family Bible Encyclopedia. That's it. That's the tools. This is the old worn-out preacher saying, I'll see you again before you know it. I'll be back again, and I'll be with you right here and ready to go on another Sunday. Okay? God bless you all today. In Jesus' name, amen.
brilha a luz que inunda o meu viver. Cena alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz que inunda o meu Thank you. 